0: Barefoot Lunch is about leading a happy life, transformational, creative, vital, aesthetic, one of excellence, or what the Greeks called arite, which in its basic sense means excellence of any kind, the act of living up to one's potential. So why barefoot? Well, we're relaxed among friends, slipping off our shoes. And why lunch? Well, lunch is a bit later for late sleepers and not as formal as dinner. This is a casual affair with a friend and we're going to be chatting about everything from health to memory to old age, childhood. We're going to chat to artists, writers, teachers. This is not as sophisticated as Marcus Aurelius, but hopefully a bit of that same stoic vein with a healthy mix of Walt Whitman. So join me as we Sit down to a casual lunch under a tree and chat about life. Grab your bento box and let's go. All right, welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Lunch podcast. I'm very happy to welcome Catherine Grunauer to our podcast. Uh, She was over at our office last week uh, doing some exceptional uh, uh, training, and I look forward to sharing more about that. Uh, But first to introduce her, Catherine is an executive trainer and coach uh, for cross-cultural education and orientation programs for professionals in Japan. Uh, She has a degree in international business from Sofia University, as well as uh, she's been certified in change management from ATD and coaching certification from IIN. Uh, most importantly she was raised uh, between Japan and America and we were talking a little bit beforehand about Florida so I look forward to hearing more about that and about the cultural differences. She's also uh, set up a wonderful company called Thrive Tokyo which has been named one of Tokyo's hotspots to satisfy anyone by Eurobiz magazine. She's got a wide range of accomplishments uh, she's been featured in Women's Health, HuffPost, Mobility Magazine, Mind, Body, Green, Japan Today, Savvy, Tokyo Thrive, Global, Elephant Journal, The Every Girl, Thought Catalog, and The Elite Daily. I can't do all that in one breath, Catherine. You've been a lot of places. And uh, she's worked in a variety of clients uh, with as well as Focus Corp, but uh, the U.S. Embassy, Tokyo University, Few, Rapungi Cooperative, And uh, I'm very, very pleased to to welcome you today, Catherine. Um, To start us off, before we get into your background, I'd like to to find out, you do all this stuff. What do you do to relax and unwind and uh, rejuvenate?
1: Yes, I do. I mean, just hearing you, you share a little bit about my background does make me realize just how much I have on my plate. (laughs) But, um, Well, you know, that's a really great question. So since I work independently, um, I'm able to really have a good control over my schedule. And I'm the kind of person who likes to do um, a lot of kind of the bulk of my work in the morning. And I like to take a good maybe two hours off during lunchtime because I just know I'm going to fall into a food coma <laughs> after I have lunch. Um, and yeah, then I do a little bit more admin work kind of, you know, more in the later afternoon. So I find that being able to kind of control my my schedule really helps me manage my energy levels. Um, and aside from that, I like doing things like just, you know, going out for a walk to really help me, you know, re-engage with my creativity. I find that's really great for that. Um, you know, taking hot baths. Uh, Pre-COVID, I loved going salsa dancing, and I'm still very anxious cool. for the next opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah, I like to kind of incorporate different type of health techniques for, you know, my own work-life balance. But I think being able to kind of have control of the schedule is definitely the, the biggest one.
0: Uh, that's, a, that's a I think one of the benefits of COVID is a lot of office workers have found, um, for better or worse, their own freedom. So they're not held, they're held more accountable to outcomes instead of uh, a tight schedule of a nine to six schedule. So the good thing with that is they can start earlier, finish earlier. But the bad thing is you can work all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember hearing um, a debate about that, like, is it better to, because, you know, there's this question around should employees have access to flex time or not? And how mm. does that affect your business model? And um, yeah, there's a, it, it just really depends on the industry, right? If, if you can have outcome-based um, you know, expectations for your employees, then yeah, they can have a little bit more control over their schedule. But there's also some companies that might actually need people physically present throughout the entire time. But yeah, we're, we're kind of seeing during the pandemic, at least, that even people who have outcome-based um, expectations, they're still winding up working way too many hours because it's kind of hard to get away from work when you're doing, rem- doing work remotely.
0: Yeah. What yeah. do you... Uh- one of the things I, I like morning people, what, what do you do for your morning routine?
1: You know what? I actually don't really have a morning routine <laughs> set up for myself. What's I've tried a variety routine? of things. Yeah. You know, there was even a point where I was actually doing Ashtanga yoga for, yeah. you know, the, the really kind of intense, um,
0: what's Ashtanga the, yoga.
1: So Ashtanga yoga is actually a form of yoga where you perform the same exact sequence of poses every single time you practice. And I would consider it more of kind of like an advanced form of yoga. You know, beginners can do it too because it's really the same sequence every single time. But, uh, you really can see people build that strength to um, to where they can really like hold themselves with their their core into many different types of crazy yoga poses okay. um, through practicing that form of of ashtanga yoga. And um, one of the things that people who are really into ashtanga do is they they will get up around five a.m. every morning and do a practice for you know anywhere from seventy-five to ninety minutes. Um, in the morning. And when I was kind of going down the path of exploring yoga and getting into Ashtanga yoga, I actually had a very strict morning routine um, where I was doing that on a regular basis. And um, yeah, but now I think, you know, just because I've been doing more business related things, I like really using the morning hours um, since it's so quiet. I'm, you know, I'm not getting flooded with my inbox of emails um, there's nothing pending that I have to do, um, immediately. I really like to use that time to kind of focus on, you know, bigger aspects of my business or maybe kind of more backend work that I can kind of get out of the way before the main day starts.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah,
1: that's kind of what I like to do.
0: I, I, I do the same thing. I get up at five and that's when I, I can focus from like five to eight is just core time. Right. It's, uh, you can get so much done when the world is quiet and kind of calm.
1: Exactly. The second I start getting notification pings on my phone, or even if I turn um, off the sound, if I see a notification pop up, um, it definitely kind of makes things a little bit more complicated. So it's really nice to use that core morning hours. Um, Yeah. Just to really have that clear focus.
0: Now tell me, tell us uh, your path from, Florida to Japan how did how did that come about?
1: So my path to Florida t- from Florida to Japan had a little stop in Connecticut. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in Florida. My mom is Japanese, so I grew up essentially going back and forth between Japan and the United States um, as I was growing up. Um, and I really, really wanted to study abroad. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember there was, a, there was a guy from France uh, in my, at my high school who had done an exchange program. But for some reason, there wasn't the opportunity to, for, for people at our school to go abroad. So we were accepting exchange students, but we didn't have anybody going abroad from our school. And so um, I told my parents, I was like, hey, you know what? I want to go to boarding school and they were really confused they're like why like why do you want to go to boarding school right. um and i just thought that it would be an opportunity to kind of have that experience of being away from home and being independent and also boarding schools typically have a pool of international students too so i thought that it would be you know a good opportunity to be kind of in a different environment and um, also, the first couple of years I was in high school, I was actually at an art school a- in an arts program for music. And I, I could sense that the people I was with wanted to get into the arts beyond high school. And you know, they wanted to go to local universities. They wanted to just continue to study, you know, music. And even though I really liked it, it wasn't really the path I wanted to take. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like I needed to be in a different environment to give me a more worldly frame of mind. So um, long story short, I went to, to boarding school in Connecticut and I really, really struggled there. Um, I think it was a combination of having been at an art school. I hadn't really been primarily focused on academics and, you know, boarding school is essentially prep school. So it's, it's usually a lot more advanced than, you know, the education I probably would have been getting uh, down in South Florida at a public school. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, my my biggest struggle was actually just being in the middle of nowhere where it was snowing all the time. So I really went through this huge shock on my body from being in a sunny Florida all, you know, all the time to living in a very dark, cold location. Um, And yeah, it was, it it was definitely a struggle. And I kind of realized from there that if I'm, no matter what university I go to, I want to go abroad. And I want to be in a city because I know that no matter what the weather is, I can at least do things. I can be active. I don't have to feel like I'm I'm stuck in hold up because, you know, of all the snow that's outside. Yep. So um, I remember I was taking a, a, one of those university uh, campus tours with my with my parents who are visiting up in Connecticut. We actually went to Yale um, since it was wasn't too far away from the boarding school I was at. And um I remember just saying to them, you know what? I can't look at another Gothic building in this dark, cold location anymore. And they're like, Catherine, this is Yale. Like, you know, doesn't that not matter so much (laughs) compared to your education? And I was like, look, you know what? I'm just not going to thrive here. I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to focus on the work. I wanna be able to meet, you know, people. I wanna be able to have activities I can do off campus. Um, so, uh, I remember my mom said, oh, well, why don't, you know, in Japan, there's a a school called Sophia university that has an international program. Why don't you just go there? And it was, she was just kind of saying it in passing, but it really stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember it was around springtime. So I didn't even have to apply to universities for at least another six to eight months, And um, yeah, when it came time to apply, I was just like, hey, yeah, maybe I'll just apply to this school in Japan. It sounded great to be able to do a four-year program abroad instead of Mm -hmm. applying to a U.S. university and then doing a one-year exchange, you know, your junior year, which is what most people do. Um, And then uh, I remember getting this very strange letter from Japan that said, list of a successful applicant but it was only like two weeks after I had applied and it was, I couldn't really quite understand from the letter if it meant that I was accepted to the school or if it meant that I like, they just received my application. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, essentially when I found out I was accepted, I was like, okay, no brainer. I'll just, I'll just go to Japan then. So that was kind <laughs> of the the path I wound up, up taking.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I grew up in Colorado and, um, when i was looking for grad schools i was wanting to go overseas and i was i wanted to go to scotland and i, I went visited in february and it was too cold and i was like no that's not going to happen no way i was going to live in scotland during winter time so i i, I empathize coming from florida to uh, 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 up north is is tough so Mm-hmm. Then you, so you went to Sofia, You graduated. Then did you stay in in Tokyo, or did you go back to the US? What, yes, I
1: basically it? I forgot to go home. That's what happened. I just uh, I I decided, hey, you know what, you know I'm bi- bilingual. I I got this great education from Sophia. You know why not uh, continue to stay here and and start to work? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really until I was making some pivots in my business that I really decided that Japan was going to be my home. Um, So I think that was probably about maybe seven years into seven or eight years into living in Japan when I was like, you know what, I'm going to actually make roots here and decide to live here long term. So
0: what were you doing? What was what kind of work were you doing? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So the first uh, kind of set of work that I did straight out of college was I was working for a company called 10 Concierge. Um, So it's actually an outsourced concierge company for all of those major credit cards. So um, people who have like a platinum card or a black card, there's usually a number on your card that you can call for some type of concierge oriented assistance. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that essentially for a lot of expats who were either in Japan or for people who are travelers, um, coming into Japan to help them kind of with their day to day living or, you know, anything travel related. hmm And that was a really eye-opening experience, and I really loved working there. Um, I was able to go to multiple offices that were located um, worldwide, and um, yeah, it was just a really great experience from that.
0: So how did uh, you get into starting your own business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, at that point, um, was already really interested in health and wellness, and I knew that I wanted to become a health coach in some capacity. Um, whether it meant doing that uh, while I was working and maybe just doing it on the weekends, or if it meant actually segueing into doing it as a, um, as my full-time work. And it, the timing was really interesting because we had actually gotten a new director um, in our Japan location. And I had a lot of career goals that I, that I wanted to fulfill at that particular company, but the director had Um, you know, not just something different in mind, but she didn't really see the kind of path that I was, I was thinking about. And so I kind of realized there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for upward movement, unless I was to, to go to a different office. And so I kind of felt like, okay, you know, when you're in this You know this particular industry, which on paper looks like it's you know concierge. Uh, When I was reading, reaching out to recruiters, they were connecting me with things like hotel front front reception, you know, type of jobs or secretary jobs. And I was like, no, you know, I've done a lot of internal. Damn recruiters. I'm sorry.
0: Damn recruiters. (laughs)
1: yeah, I was thinking, I was like, no, like I went to all these offices abroad. I was doing a lot of internal, you know, communications. I was strengthening our, you know, the processes and procedures we had for, for, for customers. Um, So it wasn't just like a customer service type of of job. There was also a lot of other elements I was, I was contributing to the company and I didn't really have the title uh, that I could put on the resume. And um, it, it was just kind of hard to see how I could segue out of that, out of that and into another uh, industry without starting entry level again. Mm -hmm. So I realized, okay, well, I have two options. Either I can, you know, try to enter a completely different uh, industry and as entry level and wind up competing with other new grads um, from, from who are just, you know, graduating school. Or I could maybe take a chance at starting my own business, which is, you know, what I really want to do. And if I don't do well after a couple of years, I can always just, you know, try to try to go back into the job market um, uh, anyway. So I kind of felt like there there was an equal risk for for both options.
0: Yeah. Yep. I get I I've uh, started a couple of companies and one I bankrupt. And so you just get on the horse and do it again. Right. It's yeah. So, you know, I'd send you over some questions, but I didn't plan on talking about entrepreneurial stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious with, you know, starting up, um, in, in doing coaching and and education for companies and such, what what have you found if you were going to give a, a piece of advice to someone to take away, who's listening to this, and they want, they're thinking about starting up, what, what would you tell them?
1: I guess the first thing I would say is to think about how much money you want to make. Because <laughs> I really didn't think with that kind of end goal in mind. Like, I didn't think like, how much money do I actually need to make in a year? And, you know, how much would my expenses be? And like those types of things. I really didn't think with like that type of end goal in mind. My, yeah. my attitude when I was starting was, you know, just, just do your marketing and get people to know who you are. And then once I started, you know, getting people who kind of knew who I was, then I was like, okay, just get people to take a workshop. And, you know, I was only charging like 2000 yen for, you know, a a lunch and learn type of workshop and inviting people to come. And I just realized that it was taking so much effort to do all the marketing for it. Then you know, then you might get a certain amount of signups, and then you have to follow up with everybody mm-hmm. to make sure they're going to come. And then, heaven forbid, it rains, you might get last minute cancellations. And so there was just so much stuff that was really weighing on, um, you know, people participating in person. And um, I realized that I had to kind of change my attitude uh, about it because the the only re I was basically set up to fail if I didn't mm-hmm. change something about about the structure. And yeah, I had heard from another kind of uh, another woman who had had some successes going from very low, you know, low revenue that she was making and working all the time to making more high revenue. She's like, look, I had to kind of decide, okay, what do I need to make annually? Then how much time do I actually have to do service delivery um, Mm -hmm. in relation to all the admin work that you have to do? And then just start to kind of base your prices off of that and kind of set up your systems and your marketing uh, differently based off of that model.
0: Yeah, that's so, yeah. That's I mean that's uh, what I learned. I'm putting together a training uh, company. It took me a couple of years, but uh, it, and then Lehman Shock happened. But cash yeah. flow is, is tough, right? Because you, if you're a one-person company, you're selling, and then you you get a gig, and then you're delivering, or you're creating and then delivering. Yep. But your your sales funnel is totally dried up, so you're not yeah. selling while you're delivering, and it, you can get on a, a horrible roller coaster if you're not careful, in a service yeah. industry where you are the product uh, basically. So,
1: yeah, absolutely, it's really hard to strike that balance because, as you said, you know, the time I was spent actually interacting with clients meant that I wasn't doing sales and marketing during that time, and then the time you're doing sales and marketing, um, there might be a gap. Between what people kind of remember of of who you are, so yeah, trying to figure out how to do those things simultaneously was also another challenge.
0: It's tough. So so, um, and then how long have you been running Thrive Tokyo?
1: So I just recently had my five year anniversary. So I'm year six right now. <laughs> yes.
0: That's great. Thank you. So so I found you um, via the World Wide Web. I went on to Google. We do at Focus Core. We do um, an annual health challenge. So for the last, this is our fourth year of doing it. Uh, Basically for the, we had Menya come in one year and he kind of taught us about, uh, you know, eating nutrition and and working out. And then we were working on ways to lose weight, body fat and and, uh, just get healthy. And then last two years, we've really worked on just body fat because we figured everybody could really, that evens the odds. We have a couple of people that are just really fit. And then we have others that really want to lose weight. And we have some that want to gain weight. So we figured body fat was a fair way to track things. Right. But we, this year, because of COVID, I, I wanted us to do something a bit different, mm-hmm. um, and really understand a bit more about health because it seemed to me that we would go through and we'd go through this three month, you know, challenge and someone would win a prize and, but no one was really learning and actually changing their lifestyle long term. It was only about just kind of winning that challenge. And it was competitive versus really trying to help people develop. So I, I got on Google, found you. And then it's funny, it was like a serendipitous. The next week, you were on Andrew Hankinson's uh, Zen and Out podcast. And then I didn't realize you and uh, Jennifer Shinkai were friends, you know, mutual friends. And so it was just like, okay, this is meant to be, I need to, to call Catherine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you came in and you did a wonderful seminar for us. I thought it was, it, it was great. And the, one of the biggest takeaways that I got was how you define health, because I, I thought, Oh, light clicked on there for me, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. So How do you define health?
1: Yeah, so you know, this is all a really big topic because I think people don't really think in their mind like what is their actual end goal that they're trying to achieve. So maybe they want to, you know, improve their physique, but but what is the underlying purpose behind that? And And, you know, there's so many different health modalities too. I mean, we could talk about journaling as something for health or taking a hot bath as something for health or getting more sleep as something for health. So there's just so many potential things that you can pick depending on what that goal is. So if you don't really have the underlying understanding of what you're trying to achieve through your health, it's really hard to kind of backtrack and understand the reasons or the motivations behind the tasks you're actually picking. Mm -hmm. So for me, I like to define health as ease. And, you know, I, have heard about this through a functional nutritionist who I was uh, learning from for a while in the early stages of my business. And, you know, she was talking about how disease that people have is basically dis ease, you know, a Mm. lack of ease in your body. And the, the concept behind that is that your body already knows how to be healthy meaning it's already set up for success. Your your digestion knows how to function. If you get a cut, your body knows how to heal it. Your body naturally gets tired at the end of the day when the sun goes down and it starts to feel energized um, in the morning when the sun starts to rise. So all of those functions are actually already happening. How can we actually get out of the way and, you know, find help our body essentially perform those functions the most optimally. And so for that, I would kind of define health as ease. How can we make things easier for ourselves? How can we remove stress so that our bodies can function naturally? How can we, you know, make sure we're prioritizing our sleep so that we can recharge and you know, refresh ourselves uh, better? Um, and yeah, that's essentially how I would, I would define it as finding ease.
0: I think well, that's great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, when I mean for my own health, I when I moved to Japan, I I, I just got to be. I was I lived with my in laws for a while, and every night we would I'd come home and have this great Japanese meal, and I'd drink a couple of beers, and I just I got to be a I was a big old fat guy, mm-hmm. and uh, then I, I started running, and and Simon, who you met, uh, kind of got me into to running because I, I and I just absolutely loved it. And the more I, the healthier I got, the more running I did, my body started telling me at times, okay, I crave a, a certain food. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe I need more minerals or I need, you know, I was like, oh, I want to eat beans. Why do I want to eat? Well, I, it, I need something in that. I might not know the technical yeah. stuff, but I knew that I needed that in my body. So I think that that really resonated with me, the, the disease uh, versus ease uh, yeah. mentality.
1: And I think uh, one of the things that you were going to ask me too was about the difference between Eastern holistic nutrition and Western. And I think that's really like what you just said. It's about developing that intuition. Mm. I always find that in Western, nu- Western forms of nutrition, you're talking about things like protein, carbs, calories, fiber, you know, all of these elements that are in the food, but we can't actually tangibly, you know, see or understand without going onto Google and being able to make calculations. And I find that when you approach your health from that scientific perspective, it kind of gets in the way of developing the intuition that you have with your body. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Eastern ways of thinking about health is kind of thinking, okay, you know, how's my, how's my digest digestion working? You know, do I have a bowel movement at least once every day? How is my circulation? You know, do you have cold hands, cold feet? Um, You know, if you do have, cold hands and cold feet, maybe you need to eat more warmer foods like ginger, for example, or having, you know, more cooked foods instead of cold raw foods, for example. So it's basically being able to use how you're feeling in your body to kind of guide you towards the elements that you need to achieve that balance. And I think that for me, at least back when I lost 20 kilos, learning about Eastern holistic nutrition, that was really kind of like the, the, the changing point where I was like, okay, I need to think more about supporting my body and what it needs to achieve balance more so than trying to analyze everything kind of scientifically or, or calculating everything. Um, And I think beyond that, once you do achieve balance and you feel Mm -hmm. really good in your body, then if you want to, you know, become a bodybuilder or, you know, get more toned or whatever it is, then you can start to use, Those elements of science to help you make those little tweaks that are going to make a difference in your in your personal physique. Hmm. Um, So I kind of see it as like a two-step uh process. Like step one is just try to develop the sense of ease in your body and balance and you know, developing that intuition where you really understand uh what your body is needing. And then beyond that, if you want to kind of define your body, then you can get more into the science stuff.
0: That's good. I like that. I'm a runner, and so I, you go out and you, you see some. For the longest time, when I started running, I wouldn't go and buy super duper shoes because it, it it didn't matter how much I spent on shoes. I'm not going to get any faster because of my shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have so many other things that I need to worry about before I need to worry about my shoes that it's going to make any difference. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's that similar kind of thing. I need to worry about really just you know listening to my body doing my basic exercise and health nutrition things before I ever get to, you know, worrying about all the proteins, nutrition. And uh, do I need to, you know, drink a, a protein drink after weightlifting? I'm not there yet. right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So maybe the first step is just, okay, I go for a walk. Then I start to jog a bit, or maybe you think about the amount of time you're running those types of things, then you can start getting into refining, you know, your shoes or, you know, the actual protein drinks that you're having. Yeah. There's kind of like a progression, right?
0: But then now we're still in Japan, we're still stuck at home. Um, What have you found has changed over the last say 18 months with, with how people are living in their health,
1: Oh, so well, I would say that kind of like the the challenges people are facing is definitely different. So, you know, depending on whether a person is living by themselves or with family, You know, one person who's living by themselves might feel very lonely during this time. So, the thing that they need the most to have a better sense of, you know, maybe mental health, for example, Mm -hmm. is trying to reach out and find a community. Or maybe it means doing more Zoom calls with their family, for example. Whereas somebody who is living with home and having to do remote work, uh, maybe their biggest challenges are about finding a little sense of me time or finding some time for creativity or or it could be for exercise too. So I think that, you know, this having people kind of have to stay home has really shifted where their priorities lie in their health goals. So someone who might've been primarily focused on, you know, diet and exercise before the pandemic, who was able to go to the gym every day and who was able to have more control of their food, maybe their priority right now is actually to be spending more time connecting with their family members abroad and, you know, having that sense of emotional comfort. So I think that, um, I think that, yeah, just kind of the priorities have started to shift because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic.
0: Mm -hmm. And, I think people uh, that I know have taken on new hobbies or taken on new, for better or worse, new things. Whether it's binge eating or whether it's you know going out and spending time by themselves in nature and, and walking or, or new health regimes. So some's positive, some negative. What what do you intuitively? What do you think is going to happen when we kind of the world gets back to normal? Do you think people will continue with these with the way things were with lockdown and, you know, take some of their new hobbies or do you think they're just going to go back to the way things were and say, ah, yeah, I'm going to go out and party all the time. And now they can meet (laughs) people. How do you think?
1: You know what? I, I really can't say because I don't know what the new normal is going to be beyond this pandemic situation. You know, are people going to continue to do this kind of flex time work from home or be in the office situation, or is it really going to go back to, their, their full-time schedules. I do think that there's probably going to be a, a point in time where, you know, once it's safe, there's probably going to, you know, people are probably going to go out and celebrate and, and start to really spend time in, in large crowds uh, for a period of time. And then it might kind of uh, trickle off into kind of a, whatever the new normal is for our uh, work schedules. But yeah, I think like the best thing about this kind of COVID time has been, people being able to reassess what's important to them and what kind of elements they want for their health. So I do think that keeping those things in mind, people will probably try to figure out how to highlight that in the future of their work. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think coming from a recruitment background, I I just see that I, I can see like some of the companies that are around our office that have, you know, they're still going to the office every day, you know, everybody's there. I know that there's gonna be some companies in Japan, probably more domestic, that are gonna go straight back to the nine to six grind. Uh, There's not gonna be any flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I I just feel that they're going to lose a lot of talent. And the companies that have switched to being able to cope and do outcomes, and they care about the health and mindset of, of, People and I think employees are going to expect it, and they're going to gravitate to those companies.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I was, I was, uh, uh, I heard from someone recently who is a virtual assistant, mm-hmm. and she said that one of the things she likes about one company she uh, is contracted for is they have like a, a, a ten o'clock to three o'clock model uh, where you have to be in the office between ten to three, but yep. the whatever you do for the first hour. Uh, of work from nine to 10, or whatever you do after three o'clock, they don't care if you're at the office or not. And so that kind of like, it's, it's not quite full office time, but it's also not quite flex time either. Um, that's actually helpful because if you're a parent, you can go pick up your kids sure. after three o'clock or you could do whatever appointments you need and then use your time later on in the day to tackle some of the work. Um, so yeah, I don't know what what the, the new kind of structures are gonna be. And it might be kind of, I think one of the benefits of having the nine to six model is that all companies were having the nine to six model. So, you know, if every company is doing a different type of model, I think that's kind of where, uh, you know, there might be some kind of gray zone of how that's going to to work in terms of business interaction and interacting mm-hmm. with clients and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that um, nine to six completely, or <laughs> with that being the only option is probably not going to be attractive for uh, future candidates who are looking to work somewhere.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I find that people care about their health. I, I find working parents love, the, the time with their families and, and the mental health and is, is just so important. The family time is so important. What mm-hmm. um, if if you had to give three health tips? What would three be your tips. three health tips for in general? I, I, it's a mm-hmm. tough one, right? Because everybody's a bit different. But if you had to, someone listening to to our our talk today and you wanted them to go away with three good things to think about, what would those be?
1: Oh my goodness, I'm not sure if I can think of three off the top of my head, but I know that the first kind of recommendation I I would have for people is to start with something that's easy. So um, yeah, start with whatever it's easy, even if that means doing something for relaxation um, instead of something that's more active. So um, another example I can give you is uh, let's say someone's trying to improve their diet. Most people know that sugar and caffeine and, you know, fried food and those types of things are not good for you. Um, So they try to cut them out of their diet first, but that's usually the hardest place to start because it's the thing that you're craving the most. Um, So an easier thing to do would be, okay, how can I actually increase the amount of, you know, vegetables I'm having, or can I, you know, change from having, you know, white bread to something that's more uh, whole grain, Um, doing things that you kind of don't really have that much emotional connection to is actually a much easier place to start. And just from doing something simple like that, like if you can incorporate more sweet uh vegetables in your diet like pumpkin, carrots, um sweet potato, those types of things, you might start to notice that your body starts to change and you start mm. to lose the craving for those things that you you might have you know, really craved hard before, or maybe you start to um, crave caffeine less because you actually have more energy through the healthy foods that you're eating. So I would say, um, uh, and that goes for things like exercise too. If you want to lose weight, maybe don't start with trying to run a marathon. (laughs) Maybe it, it could just be starting with walking, for example, or it could even be uh, taking hot baths, which really helps with your circulation and your digestive uh, process. And that can also help with weight loss as well. So I'd say trying to pick like the the easy path and really making that part of your lifestyle is probably the best place to start if you really want to have long-term um, uh, shifts in That's your health.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My running coach used to do that both physically and, and for nutrition. It's, he would do just one little tiny thing and it just had huge effects, the, the knock-on effects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a dramatic, say, cutting out all sugars. It was just, you know, removing one little thing or adding, you know, an avocado, yeah. this one little tiny thing. And the same with, you know, improving and running. You would just do one little thing at a time. I mean, it was
1: yeah. A tiny shift. Yeah, so I think, like, also, as you said, the concept of adding or subtracting, that could also be another thing. So instead mm-hmm. of subtracting, you know, sweets out of your diet, maybe it's adding vegetables, that could be something to start with. Or alternatively, for your, um, you know, uh, physical health, too, maybe instead of adding exercise, maybe it's actually taking more baths, like doing something more relaxing, or having more sleep, something where you're doing less, that could actually be um, a better strategy, too. So yeah, starting with those kind of easier things to start with things that are going to help you essentially make the bigger changes later on.
0: Okay, great. So we're coming to the end of our, our time. I, I had three questions I always ask. Uh, and okay. so I sent them over. So hopefully it, maybe you thought about it a little bit. What book do you recommend that everyone should read?
1: Oh, you know what? This one is really tough. I love, love reading. I read so many books uh, over the course of the year. Um, for some reason, the first thing that came to mind was more of a business related book. Great. And that is uh, E-Myth. Yeah. e So I think, like, yeah, anybody thinking of starting a business, I would start with E-Myth um, yeah. for sure.
0: I, uh, anybody that's in service, I always tell, there's two books. E-Myth is number one. And the mm-hmm. second one is uh, Michael Port's Book Yourself Solid.
1: Sell Yourself what?
0: Book Yourself Solid.
1: Oh, Book Yourself Solid. Oh, I'll have Michael to add Port. that to my reading list.
0: He's, um, I, I, I taught, I, I love Michael Port. I read his book and I started working it, working on it. And I called him up mm-hmm. and I got his answering machine and I said, hi, this is Dave Sweet, call me back. And he called me back. And I was like, I was very impressed. And, and so I, I did some coaching with him and he, he was excellent. But it's really as a service industry, how to pick your clients and how to build a good marketing model, uh, mm. which especially now with everything that we have at our disposal for internet, it, it's it's wonderful stuff. But the E-Myth, uh, number one, any type of company, any entrepreneur, should, if you're thinking about starting a business, read that book. Mm. I'll put that in That's the show great. notes. Brilliant recommendation. Uh, what is your favorite lunch? When we, we get back out, I'm going to take you out to lunch. Where are we going? What's our favorite lunch?
1: Oh my goodness. I'm a huge fan of anything teishoku. So basically, I nice. just love having Japanese lunches. So, um, you know, it could be some type of grilled fish or pork would be my second option. I love things like shogayaki, for example, uh, ginger pork. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, that's another one that's also really hard. But I would say anything that's a Japanese teishoku, I'm there.
0: Yeah, I like a good teishoku. We got a place by the office that I, I have to admit, I used to go there three or four times a week. And uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I just, now I miss that. Um, if you could invite <laughs> anyone to lunch for your teishoku, living or dead, who would you invite?
1: Well, you know, this might not be a very like, uh, interesting <laughs> answer. But I think because of the pandemic, the, the number one person I would say is definitely my mom right now. Nice, Yeah. So definitely family related, I would say, because uh, that would definitely bring biggest sense of joy.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I, I think we've, uh, during the pandemic, we all realize how close we, we really need to be and and how important those human interactions especially physical interactions are with with those that we love and care about we miss those on the on the flip yeah. side it's been nice boy just being able to figure out how to do zoom and getting parents and and loved ones I got my my oldest friends since I was three I've, we're on every other week now we're we're doing zoom calls and it's it's just wonderful parts of it right now I would yeah. like to get back to so I, I hope you get to go and meet with your mom and have lunch with her very, very, very soon.
1: I hope so too. Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> so thank you. You're, you're wonderful to speak to. I, so if people want to reach out to you, you got your website, thrivetokyo.com. You're on LinkedIn and you have Instagram. You, you created a nice uh, Facebook group I saw as well that people can join up.
1: Yeah, so I have a Facebook group called conversations about culture. And I like to just kind of add any, you know, culture cross cultural tidbit that I find from people I'm working with, or anything in the news that I come across that's related to living in Japan. Um, so the concept is around helping people in Japan thrive. So I do that through cross-cultural training, uh, onboarding, and also wellness. So those are kind of the, the primary topics that are, are in that particular group. And you can interact with some other people there, too.
0: That's great. And then I also saw that if you go onto your website, you can sign up for kind of a, a trial uh class that you have tell me more about that real
1: quick yeah so on my on the the home page i have okay. a, a free resource there um which is a three-part masterclass about uh business concepts in japan cool. so for anyone who's kind of new to the workplace or you've been working in japan for a while and you kind of don't really understand how people are thinking that's a really great place to start and get a little taste of cross-cultural training cool
0: Thank you. I appreciate your time this morning, Catherine. It's been wonderful to learn more about you. Thank you for the work you're doing with Focus Core. We look forward to all the coaching sessions you're doing with us. It's exciting times um, and everybody's uh, wonderful feedback. So I can't say enough nice things about you. So um, if you're out there listening, please uh, reach out to, to Catherine if you're interested in health, in cross-cultural communications. Uh, it's been wonderful to meet with you today
1: great thank you so much
0: thank you this brings us to the end of our episode thank you so much for being a listener and can be found on itunes or wherever you download your podcast if you like what you've heard please leave a rating and a nice comment and thank you our original music was composed and performed for the barefoot lunch podcast by sweeney davis